This is the Prosperous Family Podcast, where we explore creative ways of prospering mentally, emotionally, socially, physically, financially, and spiritually. So pull out your notepads, put on your thinking caps, and be open to new ways of approaching your day-to-day life, new ways of creating prosperity, happiness, joy, peace in your life and in the lives of your family members. Welcome to Prosperous Family Podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. So excited to um, be on the podcast this morning with Dr. Orlina with DrOrlina.com. And Orlina, we are so glad that you've joined us today for our Prosperous Family podcast. I noticed in your uh, in your notes in pre- preparation for the interview, it really struck to me how you were so excited about um, being able to do the things that when you prosper, you're able to do the things you love. And I love that definition because it, it's very much true for me that when we are prosperous health-wise, which is... Uh, obviously what I assume we're talking about today, that then you're physically able to do the things you love. So I, I wanted to point that out because I, I it rang true to me. That's exactly what I mean when we're doing the fa- prosperous family because we're prospering in all areas of our lives. So I really appreciate that. We're also, then we're going to jump in. My first question for everybody, tell us about your family. Perfect. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, family. <laughs> I have four children and a husband. Um, my oldest is just about to turn 14. Oh my goodness, we are enjoying those teenage years <laughs> and all the new challenges that they present. Um, oh, yes. my, they're, all my kids are very close in age, actually. So that presents unique opportunities for learning, shall we say. <laughs> I, I've been there. How close are yours? 14 and then where do they go? 12 and then my twins are nine. Okay, okay. Mine are even closer. Um, during these summer months, my kids right now are 22, 21, and 20. Wow. wow. So, uh, give us a few weeks and they'll, you know, one will change. But yeah, close together it makes for some interesting learning experiences. T- tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, like I think parenting is one of the toughest things I have ever done. I used to work in a busy kid's accident and emergency and my favorite thing was like I used to work in the hospital wards as well but we would have to sometimes go down and what I really loved doing was walking into this busy heaving accident and emergency department and because I was like relatively senior I could see all these patients you know cherry pick the ones I wanted to and you know within an hour or two I could clear that really busy emergency and get rid of all the people who could just be sent home oh I loved that feeling but I think part of it is that it's a really um although you don't know what's coming in and there's like chaos in that kind of terms, but hospitals are really very organized and very, you know, if I say something like, please, can you do this to somebody else? They go and do it. You know? 
they follow your directions and they have uh, yeah. <laughs> respect and honor for your opinions and guidance. That, that's not, that wasn't my experience of parenting. I think, like it can be really stressful because you just have no idea of yeah. you know what's what is happening. And I think as well, like for me, you know, I thank my children for my emotional journey. Like, mm. you know, emotional wellness is a lot, it's a big part of what I teach and a big part of what I do. And before I had kids, you know, I didn't think I had any huge, great emotional issues, but now I see like, thanks to them and moving to Spain and, you know, that sort of journey. Oh my goodness. Like, it wasn't like I had emotional problems, but I wasn't in control of my emotions. I didn't understand that, you know, I could choose happiness and joy and excitement and all of these things. And that I have, you know, influence over how I turn up, you know, both in emotions. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I was actually just discussing that with my husband less than an hour ago, because he's having some transition in his life, a little bit anxious about some of those transitions. And I said, you know, anxiety is a choice. And so many people are taught that those emotional emotions are not choices, that they just happen to us. But um, I think on one level they do happen to us. I think there's a lot we can do to stop them from happening. Um, and well, I think, you know, for me, where I think emotional wellness is, is we feel the emotions, but we process them quite quickly instead of yeah, like that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, that, thank you for that clarification because that's totally true. You feel that emotion, whatever triggered it, the, where, where the choice comes is, are you going to stay in that or are you going to process it? That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that's a, it's an, you know, all my four kids are, you know, what I call highly strung, um, you know, big emotions. Yesterday, for example, we were playing Uno. Um, my husband and I, he's not been well recently, actually. He's had COVID, so his energy levels are not he's not high. Yeah. And so we played a few rounds with um, the, the twins, the younger two, fun, enjoyable. Then my middle son came in and, um, I don't know, there's this card, which we called the car of war. And because, you know, the it... <laughs> It's quite complicated how you played this car. I don't know what happened. Like a few rounds later on, and suddenly my children are screaming and yelling, like so much so that I'm like, guys, you have to go inside. The neighbors do not want to hear this. Like, I don't really care screaming about Screaming and yelling, upset, bothered, <laughs> yes, or happy. But, you know, I think that's part of teaching our kids. You know, it's a good place for them to learn emotional wellness. Okay, it was a bit of a disaster that time, but better they learn it there than, you know, later on in life when they're dealing with things that aren't just a game of Uno, you know? And I think that's, it's hard work for parents in that facing those emotions is kind of exhausting all the time, which is one of the reasons why I think self-care and looking after yourself is super important because if you're tired and run down, you don't have energy for those big emotions the whole time. And when you're calling for yourself, it's so much easier when you can be there and go, oh my goodness, what on earth is, what is going on? <laughs> and you yeah. can find, you know, you meet their needs, but from a place of like, hey, it's all okay. It doesn't matter. We can do this calmly. Okay, we need to sort it out. But if your energy levels are a little bit low, actually what happens is you get swept into that emotion and you start feeling those emotions. And, you know, suddenly, instead of your children having big emotions, suddenly it's the entire family <laughs> is um, 
been there, done that, unfortunately, been the the one. And it's especially as moms, I, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I know it's true for a lot of moms that I talk to that our emotional well-being is influences everyone else's. Yeah. Um, we I think we are. I really think we're the linchpins. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. As, I, as you say, I haven't been in every single family, but I find that to be true as well, is that quite often it's, you know, when the mother looks after themselves and is really there to sort of calm things, smooth things, everybody gets on better. But, you know, I guess the same could be the, true of the dad if they wanted to take on that role, I guess. Right. Right. And, you know, that is true. And and I'm sure there are families, <laughs> just doesn't happen to be mine, where the emotional, well, let me say that differently. That my, every person in the family, if they're not taking care of their emotional well-being, can affect everyone else. Yeah. That, it, it is absolutely true. Um, it just is more so the case that my bad emotions, my bad reactions to other people's emotions affects more, it has a greater influence than everyone else. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, a part of that is, like you were talking about, scheduling self-care. And that includes taking care of my diet, taking care of my physical fitness, and and though I'm not as good at this as I should be, <laughs> taking care of working out those bad emotions when they mm -hmm. happen. It, though, though I think, let me say that differently too, <laughs> because I think I've gone from where I used to have to sit down and process that emotion could mean like an hour long process where I'm writing out all of the history of it and, you know, trying to dive into it. Whereas now, I have gone through enough of that processing that I can immediately identify, okay, this is the triggering, you know, this is what triggers that type of emotion. <laughs> and because that emotion has been triggered, I know that this is, you know, and so I guess it's not that I'm not processing, it's that I am able to process it so much faster, I think. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think for me, one of the things that I think is super important is habit. So I always talk about habits and systems and routines. And, you know, I think not just in, you know, you, you talked about three of my four pillars. I talk about four pillars. The one that you were missing was sleep. Um, but we have habits in everything, in how we eat, in how well, we exercise. Tell you, I know that sleep is vital to emotional well-being. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> so we have habits in everything, and we have habits in our emotions. We have habits in the way we think, and our, our thoughts and emotions are very, very closely linked. So, you know, when you're talking about processing to begin with, it's something that you need to learn when you're learning about emotions. You know, one of the things I do is teach people about emotional eating, so how to see your emotions and feel your emotions without turning to food for comfort mm. and to begin with it's like oh my goodness it's something i need to learn you know it feels like anything it's like learning a new recipe isn't it you learn a new recipe my son is busy cooking i don't know what in the kitchen it's taken him hours i'm sure if he were to practice and practice and practice he'd be able to do it much much quicker and my kitchen mm. would be me running around <laughs> right, right. But it's the same with processing your emotions. You know, the first time you do it, it takes a while and it takes a while until you realize what's going on. And then you just have these systems and tools to do it 
super quickly. And sometimes I think as well, you know, we may have a negative emotion or, you know, one that we don't particularly like, but we just sit with it and go, okay, this, this is just, I don't know why it's happening. I can give you an example. Last week, I swim quite a lot with um, my swimming friends. And on Saturday evening, you know, we, we haven't had the best start. It's the summer holidays here in Spain with my husband having COVID and me thinking, oh my goodness, I'm sleeping in a different room. Everything's, you know, that slightly negative feeling yeah. going on. And then on Saturday evening, I realized that quite a lot of my swimming friends were meeting up. And for some reason, they hadn't invited me. And it wasn't, uh, I'm sure they didn't mean to exclude me. They j just hadn't made it clear that they were meeting up. And here's me going, oh, I'm just really upset about this. It's Saturday night. I'm sat by myself and all my friends <laughs> mm -hmm. posting these images of them being at this concert, which they've forgotten to invite me to. Um, and so, yeah, you feel that kind of negative emotion. So, you know, I went to sleep. The next morning, I'm still a bit like, you know what? I'm still a bit grumpy with my friends because, you know, why didn't you invite me? But I know I've got that feeling. And then I just go swimming. For me, swimming just is magic elixir to everything. Get in the sea and all your worries just wash away. But wow. just for a you little bit. Of if you can just do that. <laughs> I'm super lucky. I am. But, you yeah. know, it's just sitting with it. And then eventually, like, not buying into it, not, you know, being aware, okay, you feel this. And part of it is because you're thinking like this, but you know that they're not doing it in a malicious way. So just get back to having fun with your friends and doing what you love with your friends and realizing that it was just an error on their behalf. Don't take it personally, just keep going. And then yeah, you get back. You say that. <laughs> <laughs> you say that. Uh, but, you know, um, so, so to, Two comments. Let's, the first is just immediate reaction. When you have not been in the habit of processing emotions, when you haven't dug in deep and know some of those things and, and understand that it just is processing the emotion, it doesn't mean that it's you're, you're depressed and you're a terrible person and you have some chemical imbalance just because you have a bad emotion, um, which is my opinion, but um, we can anyway. But the, but the other aspect of that, and maybe this is something we can talk a little more about. Um, for me, one of the realizations was um, you have more than one trauma. Like when, when I first started um, seeing a therapist about certain things, I always went to one traumatic event in my life. Like, and everything bad that happened to me, I would say, oh, it was because of this traumatic event, right? And I was quite old, <laughs> probably in my mid, I was probably 40 by the time someone said to me, you, and he didn't say it to me, it was in a professional development program, it was on a lecture, um, you have to get past that one trauma so that you can process all the other traumas. Because if you're always blaming it on only one thing, um, maybe your your parents neglected you or you were attacked or abused or you were bullied. If you're always blaming it on that one thing, you aren't able to see the whole spectrum of traumas that you might have. Do, is that similar to what you have learned or? Yeah, I mean, I think there are different ways of processing things. And I'm very much like, what I focus on is the now and how you're going to 
like process what's going on now as opposed to a therapist and I don't like I did do a little bit of therapy training when I was a medical student but it's not something that I really do now therapy is much more looking back and understanding okay so why did this happen whereas you know to go into your first statement I 100% agree what I would say is and I love this quote that we are humans are emotional beings who think as opposed to thinking beings who also feel emotions our emotions are absolutely everything. We are driven by our emotions. And logic plays very, I mean, you know, there's different aspects. Some people are much more logical than others. But essentially, we do things because we want to or we don't want to or whatever it is. But we are driven by our emotions more than we are driven by our logic, as much as we like to think we're logical. And I always say to people, you know, we, and, you know, going to your comment about like some people have different, you know, there are different, you know, brain chemistries and things like that. But what I always say is you're human. You've got a human mind and you've got a human body. And I think it's about learning to use your human mind and your human body. And so thinking about what happens now and recognizing that. So, you know, going back to my example of my friends it would have been really easy and you know I think a few years ago I would have just hung on to that my friends don't love me they didn't invite me I'm going to hold on to that for ages and ages and ages yeah opposed to like oh you know what it's just one of those things and life is too short it would have been nice who knows I probably wouldn't even have gone if they'd invited me but you know hey let's hang on to the insult that they didn't invite me um we like doing those things. You know, sometimes we do like feeling miserable and upset. So no, that's, that's one of the things that I talk about in, in my training is we, we get to know who you are. And one of our, one of the things we talk about is, is our archetypes and the, the, the archetype of the victim. It can also be the hero. So in that moment, are you going to play the victim? Or are you going to be, you know, like you said, process it and move through it? And I'm the hero. I've overcome this feeling and this emotion that is me. And I've gotten through it and I can still love these people. And and that's my hero port, part. Um, but we have to, you know, find a way to do that. Find a way to move through. It is really amazing. I do think that if we could teach people emotional wellness from a young age, oh my goodness, so many problems in the world would be fixed. There wouldn't be any emotional eating. So that's, you know, the, the bit I do. And I look from a medical point of view at the health of the world right now, particularly the Western world, and just think, oh my goodness, you know, we have an epidemic of obesity. We have all these health, like basically illnesses that are related to healthy living. Why don't we live healthily? Well, a lot of it is to do with our emotions. Why do people overeat? You know, you overeat because of your emotions, which is well, yes, yeah. and <laughs> I, I, I'm very much a, so. My career before I became a stay-at-home mom and a work-at-home mom was in advertising, and so for me, it goes back also to the marketing aspect of yeah. it because. Yeah. It, all of the marketing is also geared towards triggering those emotions yeah. around food and yeah. treats and desserts. And so it, it only magnifies the problem that's already there. And a, another aspect of what you were talking about, you know, even if you do have a medical condition that brings a chemical imbalance or something like that, you still have to process the emotion just yeah. because that creates the fact that you have 
more emotions or something like that, you still need to learn these techniques because if, and unfortunately I see too many people who say, oh, this is the way I'm going to be because this is the chemical imbalance. No, that's not true. You can still be taught to process those emotions and be able to work with now and present. I love that, that you've said. Yeah. But just think, just think what the world would be such a different place. People, you know, if they were splitting up, having divorces, they would just, you know, work it out and go, okay, you do this and you did that. There would be, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine and oh my goodness, the poor lady is going through a horrible divorce. And you just think it's all to do with emotional wellness. You know, if they, you think things like that and any kind of conflict just the world would be such a wonderful place. Well, it is a wonderful place, but it would be a much more amazing place. So many of the world's problems would get sorted out if we all had good emotional wellness, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. It, um, so talk to me a little bit. You mentioned in your introductory stuff that you work with parents to start teaching their children emotional wellness at a young age. So tell us how you do that. Okay, well, that's an interesting question. I, that's not, I, I didn't want to mislead you. I, what I do is I teach people healthy living. So what I teach is the four, like my four pillars. So healthy eating, um, exercise, sleep, and emotional wellness. And that emotional wellness includes stress and obviously your relationship with yourself, your relationship with food. And so those are the four pillars. And people come to me because they might want to lose weight. They might know that, you know, they've got emotional wellness sorry emotional eating it might be that they're reasonably healthy but they want to be super super healthy and they have something that is stopping them which is normally sugar related to be honest um and so i teach women how to do these things and how to teach their kids how to do that and essentially how do you teach your kids healthy living you demonstrate healthy living Mm. if you want your child to eat healthily if they grow up in a house which is everyone's eating healthily and by eating healthily i mean not having that link with emotions as well but if they're eating you know fruits and vegetables and not loads and loads of packets that's how they get that's what they're going to grow up and eat so it's really easy to just demonstrate it and it's the same with emotional wellness as well how do you teach your kids emotional wellness you demonstrate emotional wellness and it is slightly more complicated but i don't really go into that emotional aspect. I'm busy working that out with my own kids. Okay, so so let's talk a little bit more about emotional eating, especially because you said it is a model and and I can't say that I'm always, I have always been the best model on that because ice cream is a thing. <laughs> and ice cream was a very emotional thing in my family. The, the one time that my family would always get together and always be like a peaceful, happy moment in my in our world was Sunday nights, we would eat popcorn and ice cream. Every mm-hmm. Sunday night growing up, my parents um, supplied it, popcorn and ice cream. Now, for my mother, it was even more than that. On Sundays, they would make ice cream <laughs> in, when she was growing up. And so ice cream was a real emotional thing for us. And when I want to feel happy, or um, last night I had writer's block. I go to my ice cream. Now I have learned that I don't need more than a couple spoonfuls to feel that little emotional jump or whatever. But talk to me about the difference between, or, or give me your opinion or whatever, emotional eating that's unhealthy and something like this, which I still consider, you know, 
like treating myself, but not like indulging yeah. myself. Well, it's a, that's a really good question, I think, actually. And I think, you know, it goes hand in hand with your first comment about it's not just marketing, to be perfectly honest. Marketing plays a, a part in that. But the other really big thing is that we now live in a world where it's so easy to get calories. It's so easy to have instant gratification for all So that is part of it as well. Um, so, yeah, I, do you know what? I think, I think everyone does emotional eating from time to time. I know I do. I do boredom eating. So, you know, I'm working um, and I get a bit like, oh, I'm going to go and have a snack. Normally my snack is a handful of nuts, which is in itself not a problem. And it's part of my, how much food I have in the day. So to answer your question, when is it a problem? It's a problem really, well, number one, I would say how you feel about it. A lot of people feel that food has a control over them and they don't like that feeling. And also, if you think about that, that's really wasting an awful lot of your brain energy because you're busy trying to think, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? How can I fix this? And that's like going on all the time. So do you consider it a problem? And then obviously, you know, what's your physical health like? So it becomes a problem when people are emotionally eating candies and sweets and ice cream, but so much that it's leading to being overweight. And here's like the hard truth about being overweight is that when we look at eating, and yes, eating is, as you say, hand in hand, it's society and emotions and eating go together. Yes, it may be that you're escaping negative emotions, but it may also be that you've got that happy emotion and, and ice cream connected. You know, all of these birthday parties are another prime example of, you know, socially accepted emotional eating. But if we really think about, you know, why do we eat? Wow. <laughs> so this is a hard line, but if we're looking at it from a sort of physiological point of view, why do we eat? We eat to nourish our body. We eat to fuel our body. And that is the purpose of eating. And so we have, you know, drive to go and eat. Everybody, humans, you know, I said we're all humans with human brains and human minds. Well, part of being human is that we have a drive to seek glucose. Well, back in the day, that drive to seek glucose was like, I'm going to go and pick some blackberries and it's going to take me all afternoon to pick some blackberries. So that's perfectly fine. But that drive now can mean, okay, I want glucose. I can eat an entire tub of ice cream and I don't have to do anything to get that ice cream. So wow. we, we, live in, we live in really dangerous times. Oh, that is thought provoking. <laughs> That is totally thought-provoking. And, and one of the one of the thoughts that immediately goes to my to me in my mind is you need to be really mindful of where you are emotionally when you go grocery shopping. Yes, totally. And hungry. If don't, you don't have those if you don't buy those things off the shelf, then yeah. you're less likely to have them in your house. Yes. And, and, and and that is the work that you're doing to bring it into your home. So you have to yeah. be really, really mindful. What I do, which is I buy all my groceries from a market stall. And so, you know, I go to the market. So what can I buy there? I can buy fruit and vegetables and that's it. So, mm. you so know, like it, a farmer's market kind of thing. Yeah. But this, so this is the work I kind of do is like looking at the habits that you have and thinking, OK, so. Do you know what? We actually talk about where you go shopping and how you go shopping, because it is a really big part of setting yourself up for success and thinking, you know, if I'm going to be eating fruit and vegetables, well, one of the things I have to do is buy fruit and vegetables and, you know, <laughs> retraining people. So one of my clients the other day was and, like, and try to get, you know, fruits and vegetables that give you an emotional high or, or just retrain, you know, one of the things that I talk about in my, 
in my training is you have to not only be a good parent to your children, but you have to learn how to parent yourself. Yeah. And, and to control that whiny childish part that wants all those sweets and treats or wants all the rewards without any of the work. And, um, and so that, that's what is triggering as you're talking about this is we have to, you know, be mindful of who's doing the shopping. Are we yeah. the grown up who is being very careful or are we the child who's just, Hey, I want all of these things. Cause Hey, my, my wallet has money. That's another thing that has, um, you know, I've been thought thinking about is in prosperous family, we to be a completely prosperous family, we have to manage everything and, and managing our money, not just because there's money in the bank account, I can buy yeah. all of these sweets. But if we go into the grocery store or go into our shopping, hey, I've got this amount of money that I'm going to spend and I'm going to focus most of it on buying fruits and vegetables. Yes, and sometimes, like you can get cheap fruits and vegetables, but sometimes the junk food is even cheaper than the fruits and vegetables. But listen, yeah. going back to your, your story of eating ice cream on Sunday or thinking about writing. Now, here's the question. If you could get that emotion that, hey, we're having that lovely bonding time as a family and feel that happiness, but do it in such a way that you don't feel food, you can still have that emotion. So it's not that it's saying that emotion is wrong. So it's not that either looking for that negative emotion, like say, for example, you're stressed and you're using food mm -hmm. to combat your stress. Yes, you want to combat your stress. You might be looking at it to provide yourself with a happy emotion, happy and calm. Yes, you want to feel happy and calm, but what you don't want is the food to be giving you the happy and calm. You want to have other tools so that you can go, yes, I feel happy and calm. It's just like eating ice cream, with no ice cream involved. And right. I'm not saying you can ever eat ice cream. It's not saying that, like you can have ice cream. And I say to people, you know, if you're gonna eat food, whatever you're eating, be 100% in, enjoy it, like really relish it. Eat that ice cream and love it. Don't eat it and feel guilty. What's the point of that? <laughs> oh, you know what? That's that's totally true. And so um, one of the things that I'm realizing is that when I was eat when I was in those good moments with my family, I felt loved and accepted. And when mm -hmm. I get writer's block, I've, it is, I didn't even think about this until you're discussing it. It's because I'm a feeling like nobody will want to hear what I have to say. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah. So it's also recognizing, oh, I can feel valued and I can remember that people do really want to hear me without having to go get the ice cream. <laughs> it's a habit, but it is a habit. Yeah. Now you can see that it's a habit that's grown up over... Yeah not just your lifetime, but your parents' lifetime too. That's a right. really ingrained habit. That's like society as oh, the age of it. Yeah, exactly. But that's what we're up against, you know? And I don't think it means that we have to ever say, okay, we can't enjoy ice cream as a family, but a lot of times it happens without being aware of it. And then we turn away because it is easy. It's so easy now. Hey, you know, I'm feeling a little bit, bored let's go to the ice cream shop or let's go and get a packet of sweets or it's just so easy now but we don't see the negative consequence of that which is to be perfectly honest sugar is not great for us or well no, no. sugar isn't great for us, but it, well, there's a limit and two like you said for my grandparents it was 
raising the cows and milking the cows and picking the berries and going through all of those processes to have this reward of ice cream. So that's, yeah. that's very interesting. Hey, Marion Hobson here. I wanted to break in and remind you that as you're listening to these recordings, to really pay attention to your intuitive guidance. Take notes about those things that really pique your interest or make sure that you are hearing what you may want to do. That may or may not be something me or my guest shares, but it could be something totally different that is in pricked or you think of just because of what we say. So follow your own intuition and guidance and enjoy the continuation of this pop episode. I, I did want to go back somewhere in is somewhere in your discussion about my ice cream. Uh, you were mentioning it's how you feel about it. And I I think it's been several years ago, but one of the ways that I am taught and my intuition is guided is by just flipping channels sometimes or flipping through magazines at the doctor's office. And I read once that uh, in, you know, flipping that it's, it's much, it's not what you eat near what you eat. is not nearly as important as how you feel about it, that they've actually done studies that if you feel guilty for eating a few spoonfuls of ice cream or whatever your thing is, you're much more likely to hold on to the weight. It's like the guilt triggers. Interesting. I have come across that before. And I tell you what, I need to go and look at that study because I have seen that study before and I have seen that quoted before. But I, my instinct is, is that a lot of people are just not aware of what they are eating and how they are eating. And that, yes, I suspect that some of that is true, but I also suspect that basically what happens is our bodies get saturated with far, far, far too much sugar and far too much not eating vegetables. So I'm kind of guessing that that's probably fine within certain limits, but there are like extremes. Like if you look at, I mean, you know, we can debate what's healthy eating you know, you can go into lots of details. For me, in a nutshell, it's, you know, eat more fruit and vegetables and eat less packaged foods. And you can see people who've got a diet really high in fruit and vegetables. And then, you know, the standard American diet, which is lots and lots of meat, lots of processed packaged foods. And those two are polar difference apart. And I can't believe that if you're eating that standard American diet and thinking, hey, this is really healthy, um, that you're going to be fit as a fiddle. But because, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of other studies that show that um, nutrition has a big impact on health and how you eat has a big impact on health. So, as I say, yeah. I would go and dig that study up and have a look at it to really form an opinion on it. But it is interesting. Yeah. Well, I want to change channels. Uh, just so you said your four pillars are exercise, emotional wellness, what you eat. So I, the numbers are what you eat. In a nutshell, more fruit and vegetables. I, I basically teach the Mediterranean style diet, which is a plant-based diet. Okay. Um, and full of fruit and vegetables, lentils, legumes, nuts, seeds, olive oil is essentially the hallmark, which differentiates Mediterranean from other plant-based diets and obviously less packaged foods. It's the white refined carbohydrate, which is mm -hmm. either sugar or flour, 
which you know you have to be aware of. You don't have to exclude it, but you have to be aware that it's really, really easy to eat a lot of it without realizing. So that's pillar one. Pillar two is what I call exercise that lights you up because I don't just want you going to the gym and thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, I go to the gym to keep myself fit. I want you looking forward to your exercise and going, oh my goodness, if I don't exercise, I'm going to be grumpy and I'm not going to feel great. And I really love doing my exercise because it's my me time. It's the time where I really feel invigorated. And yes, the side effect is that it keeps me fit as well. Um, sleep is, you know, really amazingly important, both for health and weight loss. So all of these pillars sort of double up for health yeah. and weight. And then pillar you have to have them all together, like most pillars that I've oh. seen. Yeah, in fairness, there isn't that much difference between healthy living for longevity's sake and healthy living for weight loss. There are a few tweaks that you need to make, particularly like when you're losing weight. The, the thing about losing weight is you have to eat under what your body needs because you have to use the energy. You have to give your body the chance to use that energy. Otherwise, it's going to stay there as fat. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't have to be unpleasant. It doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of people, I think, get scared and think, oh my goodness, I have to deprive myself and I have to use willpower. And I'm like, no, 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 those things are not gonna work in the long run. They might work for a week or two, but in the long run, that's not the solution. Um, so it's about finding a way of life that you really, really love. <laughs> and so, so we've got, okay. So the four, just run through the four because I wanna talk about sleep before you get off, but we've got, so the four are healthy eating. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Healthy eating. Healthy is not me. <laughs> <laughs> healthy eating, exercise that lights you up, delicious, healthy sleep, um, and emotional wellness, which includes stress levels. We, we've talked quite a bit about healthy eating and emotional wellness. Let's get into um, sleep, delicious sleep. Delicious sleep. Tell delicious me, first of all, define that for us. Define delicious sleep. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so, you know, ideally you want to be aiming for eight, seven, eight hours sleep a night. Ideally, you want to be having a routine. I know that not everyone can do this. This is why I'm using the word ideally. But, you, you know, you want to be going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time. You want to be sleeping through the night. It's normal to wake up, but what you want to do is turn over and go back to sleep as opposed to sit there mulling over whatever is causing you to be stressed. Yes, which is yeah. required for good sleep. <laughs> Being able to just shut down and go back to sleep. And then you want to wake up feeling refreshed and with energy to do what you want to do and know that, and a good test of this is when do you drink your coffee? Do you drink your coffee first thing in the morning? Because, and I'm a big coffee drinker. But do you wake up and go, oh, my goodness, I need my coffee and I can't function without my coffee? Or are you fine to have your coffee mid-morning, in which case you're not dependent on it for, for waking up? So, you know, there's a lot that you can say about sleep. But So, so, so I'm not a coffee drinker, but I have found that one of the, like, so, um, you know, when I first became the person in charge of getting myself up, which was, you know, college years and I'm out of my parents' house, um, it was more of a force thing and it was more of a regiment thing. And I have, and even with my children, 
have to get up at this time because I have to get everybody ready and be able to go to school. But it was more of a regimented thing. And what I have found now is instead of getting up, I, I wake, I know that I kind of wake up dreary, dreary and not ready to get out of the bed. And so that has become the time that I do my meditations because meditations for me, like get me excited and enthusiastic about all the things that I want to do in the day. And so give me, so for me, that is a pick me up and gets me out of bed. Um, and, and it's something that I don't have to do it at an exact time. Of course, I also don't have, um, a school schedule to follow anymore, but I don't have to do it at an exact time, but I always allow myself to kind of have that process so that I'm not laying there going, oh, I should get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> but I'm actually <laughs> using that time to program my thought process for the day. Yeah, no, that's a re- I mean, having a morning routine, a strong morning routine is really, really beneficial to set you up. And, you know, your morning routine can be whatever you want. Um, it can be exercise, it can be meditation, it can be like, I always think, I always say, what works for you? Go with what works for you because I can tell you stuff, Good. but it's not yeah. my life, it's your life. And if you're saying meditation works for you first thing in the morning, then fabulous. That's, you know, keep going with that. Yeah. Well, I have also found that meditation keeps me awake if I do it at night. So, uh, and some people are very opposite of that. Some people very much relax with meditation, but me, it's a very invigorating thing. So I, I think there are <laughs> meditations. You can do more. You know, it depends. There's, you can do like a relaxing meditation. You can do a waking up meditation. The thing I find, I find those sleep meditations do send me to sleep. But then what happens is I wake up at the end of the meditation and go, "Oh, I'm awake." <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. I, I have occasionally used a sleep meditation uh, and not just to go to sleep with, but if I wake up in the middle of the night, finding my mm-hmm. brain going, I, I use, <laughs> I use either a sleep meditation or a religious talk because mm-hmm. both of those subjects, you know, the, some religious talks just tend to go on and on and drain, drone, and they're very relaxing and, and thought provoke, you know, thought, but in a stream of consciousness sort of way where it's away from to do things. So I'm able to go to sleep. Perfect. And going back to meditation, meditation is a really useful tool to help you sleep. I think, you know, going back to that idea of your brain being like trying to fix things, fix things. At times, our brains just need a little bit of time to unravel and to process things. And it actually doesn't matter if you do it right before bedtime or you do it earlier on in the day. It's still beneficial. But what you don't want to be doing it is in the middle of the night when you wake up, when you roll over and you come into that light sleep. You don't want to be giving your brain the chance to unravel and process all of those things there yeah. because that's why you can't go back to sleep. Yeah. And for me, I, I don't do this as much as I should, but it's that writing down a to to a to do di- to do list before I lay down for sleep. Yeah. Um, planning that out. I mean, I have like a whole big, huge, long process that takes an hour that I sometimes use. But even if I just don't do that whole big process, if I will take a few moments to write those down and get them off my brain. So yeah. I don't have to try to think about them in the middle of the night. It, it's helpful to. Yeah, it, it's all to do with how our brain works as well, because 
you know, partly our short-term memory is really, really powerful. And if you're trying to hold things in your short-term memory, you're sort of trying to remember it and remember it. Whereas when you put it onto a list, you're like, oh, my short-term memory can let go of that now. Yeah, yeah. And and it doesn't mean everything on that list is going to get done. It's just off my my short-term memory. You know, but one of the things I like to, um, and it's kind of going back to that, the, you know, release the guilt attitude is that there are some times when you may have to rely on something else. My, when my husband first started working nights, you know, um, I could not get myself into a sleep routine and I had to, I, I do not take a lot of medication. So I have to be careful what medication I do, but I took a very mild sleep aid off and on for those first few months, especially. And, and at different times, because I believe those are tools that we have. And if we need them to get back into routine, when, for instance, when my, when my kids would get sick and we'd have three or four days when they were little, little and getting sick a lot because we were living in a moldy house we were trying to rehab. Um, when, we, when I would not have good sleep for days, having something that would help me just get a really deep sleep for one night and get back on a schedule was was helpful and useful yeah i mean what i would say about there are lots on the market and you do need to talk to your doctor about it but the one that i would recommend is melatonin which is not it's a your melatonin is a hormone that you have it's like your sleep signal hormone and quite often that gets messed up because we do things like read until late at night and um, lights will mess it up and all kinds of things so if I use anything I use that and you know again I think you're quite right is to use it to get back into that routine so I sometimes find that you know I might get into a habit of waking up at three o'clock in the morning because I don't know what and then sometimes use that to sort of just get you back into routine but I think one of the things you need to be careful of with sleep aids is that they do your quality of sleep they may give you deep sleep but actually they affect your quality of sleep so you want to be careful about using them long term yeah no i use them here here and there and it's it's quite interesting that you bring up melatonin it is um definitely an example of know thyself because um i can't take melatonin it really messes up with my emotions and and i I don't know why, but but I feel very unstable emotionally if I take melatonin as a supplement. Um, and cool. I've tried different le- levels and different doses, but um, and and the same goes for Benadryl, which was terrible because I had really bad allergies to certain like animals and things like that. When I get a bee sting is the only only time in my life that I take Benadryl because I do get so emotionally weak and so reactive that I, that I just avoid those two types of medication. And I don't remember the, the, I know what I take it, um, is in the motion sickness. Um, I just don't remember anyway, but it's a very light, mild. Mm-hmm. And I only, only take it, like you said, to kind of reset, get myself back on a schedule. And, and because I do believe that dependency is not, healthy either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Arlena, I really appreciate you letting us go some different directions and letting us have, you know, different perspectives and, and on a few things and just being open. 
I did want to ask you one just curiosity question, which may or may not go with our subject. You said that you came to Spain, you moved to Spain from, where were you and how long have you been there? From the UK. Yeah, so I trained, I um, lived in the UK, I was born and bred in the UK, and we have been in Spain for over 11 years now. Okay, wow. And was that for employment? No, no, goodness, no. (laughs) Well, you never know. No, um, it was a lifestyle choice, really. Um, it was, okay. you know, I went into medicine wanting to travel um, and we decided to move to Spain. And back in the day, 11 years ago, England was part of the European Union. And I thought, oh, I can just move across and it will be really, really easy to work in Spain. It wasn't as easy as that. And then, oh, it's a long story. But essentially, they wanted me to redo my training. I was like, I have my pediatric exams from the UK. Oh. Like, what? you want me to go back they wanted me to go back and do my medical finals again or something similar I know I was just like oh no so it was a chance to reinvent myself and do something different but you know that was a time really where I think I sort of laid the foundation for my emotional training shall we say Mm. because Mm. I definitely moved with my eyes wide shut thinking oh yeah I'll just go and be a doctor over there and that just did not happen so (laughs) (laughs) isn't that funny um the same reason is why I left real estate. <laughs> I, I moved and it, it actually was from one state to the next. They did actually do reciprocity, I think is the word, where my license would have transferred, but they had a limit. You had to do it in the first six months. And I didn't look it up, you know, because when I was getting life settled and trying to, you know, adapt to the new location, I looked it up like, one week past my six month deadline. And, um, you know, I probably could have bent the rules, but I was just like, I think this is a symbolic, let's go find something else to do. And yeah, first got into coaching and professional development. Now, not professional, I had been in professional development in other ways, but decided to become a coach because of that. So it's interesting how life, you know, brings us into transition, you know, and says, nope, you're supposed to go a different way or we choose because of circumstances. Yeah, well, I'm a great advocate in like, you know, part of what I do as well is like thinking, okay, this is what I want. I want to create my ideal life. How do I get to create that ideal life? And obviously, you know, I teach people in health and wellness, but, you know, I always say I have a life of luxury and that involves being able to go swimming every day and Mm -hmm. um, cycling and spend time with my children and things like that. So it is about, it's not just about health and wellness. You know, I've got a client and she, she, I know that she just kind of feels, oh my goodness, you know, she was, she used to play tennis and, you know, she got back into playing tennis and she just looks back on her life going, oh my goodness, I was in such a rut and I didn't really realize I was in that rut. Whereas now I'm loving my life. She plays a lot of pickleball. I've never played pickleball, but she loves this. But it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what works for you, right? Exactly. She loves it. She's enjoying it. And she's enjoying her life whilst leading a really healthy life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, that's a work in progress. But the two things can go together. You can really, really enjoy what you do and lead a really healthy life. That's awesome. That's awesome. I And... And it's finding what works for you. Uh, for me, for exercise, I like variety. I like to go on a long bike ride one day, go on a hike one day, or go swimming another. You know, I'd like to switch it up and change, which well, that's really, it's, it's, my it's, life. I like variety. 
Well, I think actually it's good to have more than one exercise because if you just stick to one exercise, you're constantly strengthening those muscles. Mm -hmm. But you want to be using all of your muscles. Actually, by doing different things, you're using all your muscles. Mm -hmm. You you know, more chance of doing them. So I think actually variety is good. Variety in terms of what you eat, variety in terms of exercise, it's all good. That's awesome. We we are emotional. uh, How did you say it? We are We're emotional creatures who think rather than thinking creatures who feel emotions. Right. And so if we're doing a variety of things, maybe we're exposing us to our, ourselves to exercising those emotions as well. Yeah, exactly. No, I think you're totally right that there is, you know, we, we want to feel happiness and contentment and joy, but we also have to feel those negative emotions. And I do think actually when you allow those negative emotions in and tr- stop trying to push them away, Actually, ironically, your sort of like average goes up. So, you know, on average, you're feeling happiness and contentment far more than you are when you're trying, when you're striving to feel just happiness and just contentment. Ironically, you feel more of the negative emotions and you're trying to push them away and going, I shouldn't feel this. I need to be happy. It doesn't You work. know, that, that is so true. I am I am a solid, solid believer in that because I think I, I always... Yeah, I always describe it, you know, that I don't know if you know, but there's a children's song that says something like you can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you have to go through that. Um, Oh, what's his name? Um, He's the English poet laureate. He used to be. um, Yes. I can't remember what his name is, but yes, it's um, we're going on a bear hunt. Yes. Yes, that's one of them. I think I'm also thinking of uh, like a... uh, I want to say it's an African spiritual. You have to go through that door. Anyway, the point is that you have to go through that emotion. It, mm-hmm. As long as you're holding on to it, as long as you're um, holding guilt because you have that emotion, you're not going to be able to process it. But if you will just go, oh, I've got this emotion. Oh, yeah. because I have this emotion, I'm a real being. <laughs> I'm a human. <laughs> and and work through mm-hmm. it. Then, then you can move past it, like you said. True, yeah. true, true, true. Well, Arlena, again, thank you so much. So many nuggets of wisdom. I am so grateful you have come on to um, share with our, our listeners. Before we say goodbye, I want to ask two things of you. The first thing is, how do we find you? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I have a podcast called Fit and Fabulous at 40 and Beyond, and my website is drorlina.com. Okay, Perfect. And we'll have those in the show notes as well. If you'll you make sure you walk, look for those on the podcast. And the last thing is, can you leave us with an exercise or something the listeners can take and apply immediately? Ooh, is this a physical exercise or a mental exercise? Yes. Well, either one, either one. Obviously, get up and do 10 star jumps, like a little bit of movement every single hour is great for you. But, you know, one of the favorite exercises that, well, so many exercises that I like doing, but I think one is my favorite. I hope no one's done this one before, but it's just how we look at things. So the exercise is this, you spend a minute looking around your room and I say to you, hey, I want you to notice everything that's yellow. And so you spend a minute noticing what's yellow. And then at the end of the minute, I say to you, okay, I want you to tell me all the things that were red. And the idea really is that, you know, you notice all the things that are yellow, 
because you're busy focusing on them. And then when I ask you for the red things, you're a bit like, but you didn't ask me about the red things. And so I haven't noticed any of the red things. You might have noticed one or two, but your list of yellow things will be far longer than your list of red. And it's really just an analogy to, you know, we can focus on the negative things. Oh, my friends didn't invite me to that, you know, thing. Or we can focus on the good things. Yeah, but you have so much fun with your friends and your friends love you. And, you know, you do all these amazing things with your friends and we choose what we get to focus on, the negative or the positive. And there's always a positive. Well, okay, some situations are really dire, but mostly there is a positive that you can find. Oh, awesome. Thank you. I, and both of those work. The Doing star jumps is, is a great, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Cause I mean, I do stretches, but it's nice to have something besides just those, but, and, and then just being aware of what we're focusing on that that's perfect. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today. And we look forward to possibly having you again. Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Marian Hobson, and I invite you to subscribe, like, comment, and most importantly, share what you've learned with someone you know. The best way to lock it in is to teach someone else. So make sure that you share what you've learned, take action on an exercise or something that you've heard today, and come back to let us know how it's benefited your life and your family. Looking forward to hearing from you soon.